Ezekiel chapter 36. After we read our scriptures, we'll say the answer of our catechism lesson together. And that's on page 61 in the back of the blue hymnal, Lord's Day 49, question and answer 124. For now, let's turn to God's word and see where the substance of the truth, what's taught to us in the catechism lesson, is found in the scriptures. Thinking about the Lord's Prayer, the petition, Thy will be done. So Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 28. Hear now from God's holy word. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. Amen. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. That's on page 1840 if you're using the Pew Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are now living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn how to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Amen. Grass withers, the flower fades. God's word endures forever. Question and answer 124, Lord's Day 49. Let's read the answer together. What does the third request mean? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all men to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any back talk. Your will alone is good. Help everyone carry out the work he is called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. I certainly am not a composer 
of beautiful classical music. But those who actually do this and can do this when they're putting together a piece, it's not their intention that it would just sit on the desk and sort of remain there as a piece of music that's never played. They write it so that it would be played and so that it would be played by an orchestra and all of the notes would sort of come together producing a beautiful symphony. But there are different ways to play music, aren't there? Any of us who maybe dabble in music, played uh, trumpet in the middle school band growing up, and you know that there's sort of a, a lack of emotion that often attends beginners in music, and often those bands that are just getting started in elementary or middle school, and you, you know when you listen to it that they're, they're missing that element of passion and zeal and being able to feel the music and move within it in the way that the composer truly intended. Careful attention needs to be put to everything that was written. And then there needs to be this other element, this feeling that's hard to describe, but that is known by those who have listened to something beautiful or taken part in playing something beautiful. The dynamics, the movement of the melody and the harmony, the way that it evokes different things. It seems to me that perhaps one of the best catalysts for musicians wanting to play this way, members of an orchestra wanting to, to play in a way that, that is more felt and more beautiful, would be a love and admiration for the composer. I remember several years ago, uh, my wife and I went to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and one thing that struck me was that the pageantry around the entrance of the conductor. In this case, the symphony being played that night, the conductor was not the composer, but nevertheless, there was this, this aura and this great respect around this man who was conducting. Imagine being there to see uh, Beethoven conduct a symphony that he himself had written. Imagine being in the orchestra playing and watching the composer in front of you conducting the piece itself. There's a desire to bring honor and adulation to the composer, and in a sense, it becomes the joy and the delight of the musicians to work and to play towards this end. It becomes a privilege and a delight to make the music sound the best that one can. And this is something that happens in the hearts of God's people when they endeavor to live according to God's will and God's law. God is the one who composed the cosmos, all that we see and all that we don't see. And we are not just sort of plopped into the middle of God's creation to just do random things whenever we want and however we want. No, we are called to live in a specific way and to live in a certain way to glorify our God. Why? Because the maker of the universe, the composer of it all, is also the lawgiver. And in his wisdom and in his power, he's able to make the two of these things agreeable. That is, the world, the cosmos that he has made, the universe that he has made, and his law. 
To live in accordance with God's law and his commandments is to live in a way which is life-giving and life-supporting. In that way, we can say on the other side, as we well know, sin is destructive. It is um, disruptive to the creation and the created order. It does not just disrupt you in the state of your soul, right? It doesn't just introduce problems within your heart, but sin can throw the whole symphony off key and off beat. And that makes us grateful that God has taken the time to show us his will, to declare to us his will, to teach us his will so that we might live the way that he calls us to live. And we especially notice that when we read passages in scripture like Ezekiel 36 that teach us something about the way that God works redemption. When God works redemption and Ezekiel 36 is this beautiful promise of the new covenant showing in many ways the expanded blessings that come to us in the new covenant. The Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And then he says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Again, this is a a promise that foreshadows some of those great and wonderful blessings of the new covenant that are not different than what God was doing in the Old Testament, but there's there's an expansion of the blessing. You see that in Pentecost, the way that God gives the Spirit to his people. It's not the first time the Holy Spirit had ever come down to earth. But the way that the Spirit is given in Pentecost, particularly according to the power of the resurrection, that God's people might live with this resurrection life within them as they give glory to God in doing so. The Holy Spirit is a life-creating and a life-giving Spirit. Elsewhere in Scripture we read, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And the Spirit is given to us so that we may work against what the scriptures call the old man, the sinful man, who we are in sin, who is dead to righteousness. And from that old man comes a will that is opposed to God. This is why we pray what we do in the Lord's Prayer. Because we understand that if we are left to ourselves without the intervening action and power of God, it will be not God's will that is done in our lives. It will be our own will. And that's another important thing to understand. Whenever we do our own will, we are not doing God's will. We're doing our own. We may think that while our life is is kind of like we, we... live according to our own will. Sometimes it aligns with God's will, and so then our will is like God's will. Sometimes it's not, but it's actually better to say when, whenever our will is right and true, it's not that we're actually doing our will. We're doing God's will over and above our own. It would be just like if we play someone else's song. Someone else has written it, When we play it, it does not then become ours. It remains theirs. If our will aligns with God's, it's because he has done a work in us to do what is pleasing in our sight. That's why the catechism says, help us to reject our own will. Your will alone is good. So when we pray, 
thy will be done, what specifically are we talking about? A lot of people have conversations about God's will. I want to find God's will. I'm going to know God's will. I'm going to pray and maybe he'll show me what his will is for my career or where I'll go to college or who I want to marry or where we should move. These kind of mysterious things that God doesn't explicitly lay down in his word. And we should say that there is this secret will of God that is known only to him, which is basically his purposes. It's his decree. It's that which gives shape to everything that happens. Every single thing that happens in the entire universe is something that has been known to God and decreed by God from the foundation of the world. He knows all that will happen and he accomplishes his purposes in the midst of everything that continues to happen. He does all that pleases him. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, My counsel shall stand. Psalm 115, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. But when we pray, Thy will be done, we are not dealing specifically with that aspect of God's will. We are dealing with his revealed will. That which he has told us, This is how I want you to live. This is how you are to act. These are the things you are supposed to do. Deuteronomy 29, uh, in verse 29, beautiful verse to commit to memory. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. If God has taken the time to declare something to us in his word, he wants us to pay attention to it. There are secret things that we won't know. Why did this happen? What is God planning for the next 10 years of my life? We won't know that until after the fact. There's a secret will of God, but there are things that he has revealed to us, that he has declared. And because of that, we are to pay careful attention to it. What has God said his will is for me to do? Well, we can think of several examples. The Ten Commandments. God calls Moses up onto the mountain takes time to inscribe the Ten Commandments of the law himself by the very finger of God, we read. The Ten Commandments, thankfully in our tradition, have come to have a prominent place because we say there's there's a, a very specific place where God has concisely laid down a moral code by which we are to live. There's an example of the will of God. Micah chapter 6, another good example. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to, to, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to be fair in your dealings, to not show favoritism one way or the other. To not break the rules because of the way that your emotions might lead you one direction or another. But to act in a just way. To be a just person. To love kindness. To not be brutal in your dealings with people. But to reflect the very character of God who is himself kind and who delights to show mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. To be a person who understands that God is God and you are not. You need his help. You need his grace and you want to honor him. An example of the will of God, Micah 6, 8. Matthew 7. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, too often we we think about the will of God as this mysterious and secret thing that we have to sort of uncover. But Jesus says, you have to do the will of my heavenly Father in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because God has taken the time to reveal that to us. And there are two special aspects of the will of God that we see pop up again and again and again in the scriptures. The first part of God's will, specifically, is that we would believe in Jesus. Believe in the Savior that he has sent. God knew we needed a Savior. He said, I'm going to send my son. Here he is. Believe in him. Trust in him. Trust in his work. Look to him and know that there is where you find salvation for he is the way and the truth and the life. So John 6 verse 40, this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. The father says believe in the son and if you believe in him you will have eternal life. Second aspect, particularly of God's will, not only that we should believe in the Son, but also that we would grow in holiness, grow in holiness. So our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Another English translation puts it this way, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. This is what God is doing. What he desires to do in you is to continually pour out his grace that you would reflect Christ, look like Christ more and more, that you would delight in his law, his commandments, that you would take uh, great pains to glorify him more and more in your life and that it would be your delight to do so. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. So when we pray, thy will be done, what we're zeroing in on specifically is those aspects of God's will that he has declared, that he's taken the time to say, here's how I want you to live. This is my will. This is what pleases me when my people live This way, believing in the Son, growing in holiness. Why is it important to pray this prayer and to seek to live in conformity with God's will? What is really going on here? Well, it doesn't take a statistician, rocket scientist, brain surgeon to figure out that God's will is not being done all of the time here on earth. You can look anywhere you want and you will see the sinfulness and the wickedness of human beings, of ourselves and others. If we're honest, when we look inside ourselves, we know, we understand that we are not always living in conformity with God's will. We are not always fulfilling what he has commanded us to do. So it's not happening, so we should pray it. Furthermore, we know that we are not able to do what God commands. We are not able to do what God commands without his help, without his help. That's why Augustine said, 
O God, command what thou will, but grant what thou commandest. In his dialogues with Pelagius, this is what drove the the more Pelagian mind crazy, that God would command something, but ultimately we would not have the power in and of ourselves to do it. Augustine said, that's fine. God will command whatever he will, but he will also grant to me what he commands. So Wilhelmus Albrockel says this, this the, the supplicant, that is the one praying, prays in this petition, thy will be done, that God would manifest his power and goodness by granting to us and others such a heart to know, love, fear, and obey him, in order that man would thereby show that God is the sole Lord, ruler, lawgiver, whose very nature obligates all creatures to obedience. When we're saying, thy will be done, we're saying, give me the heart that you promised in Ezekiel 36. Create in me that heart that delights to know you, that delights to obey you that delights to love and fear you. One of the things that the scriptures continually puts in front of us in this way is understanding. If, if we're able to gain a deeper understanding of what God is doing in his word and in his law, then we see fruit come forth from that. And Psalm 119 is really a beautiful central place in scripture where, where we see this again and again. Verse 27 of Psalm 119. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And then verse 34 and 35. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with all my heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. See there, Psalm 119, what it understands is that what we need is that inner heart that rejoices in the law of God. And that happens through God's sovereign working in our lives, most clearly through the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're praying. We don't see obedience to God in our own life. And those around us, we need to pray. We know that left to ourselves, we will not be able to do this, so we pray. Thirdly, to live in accordance with God's will is the best way for us to glorify God in this life. All the time that we're given, every day that we're given, is an opportunity, isn't it? It's an opportunity to glorify God. And the best way for us to do that is to begin by living a life in conformity with God's revealed will for us. For those who live in conformity with God's will, glorify him. We understand how this works. You see it in any number of ways. If someone reads a self-help book and they think that it's really it gives them some kind of secret. They got the, the market cornered on how to get something done in life. So they're particularly struck by this book and they live according to what the author says. They, they feel like, okay, this works. This is what I'm going to do. And they live according to it. An exercise plan, a, a, a diet plan, right? All of those things when people feel like they got something figured out, they live in accordance with it. We know that, that there's something that resonates with our understanding 
regards to all those things. If we know and believe truly that God has revealed to us the path of life, the path of goodness, the path of peace, then we delight to live in accordance with him. At the beginning of this prayer, we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And this petition, thy will be done, really connects quite directly, doesn't it, with the, with the petition, hallowed be thy name. How is the name of God regarded as holy, or how is it seen to be regarded as holy when his people obey him and live in accordance with his will? So, to live in accordance with God's will is the best way for us to bring glory to God in this life, which should be our greatest desire to glorify God. Fourth, we pray this prayer because we have unity by the Spirit with the angels and the resurrected souls in heaven. That which is called the church triumphant. In heaven right now, There are countless souls who have been raised and resurrected. And there are angels gathered around the throne of the Lamb who was slain and yet lives, glorifying God and praising Him. And in heaven, God's will is never, ever, ever disobeyed. Never. And we have unity with the church in heaven. We are called to think with heavenly minds. We are called to set our mind on things above. We are called to to meditate on the glories of heaven. We have unity by the Spirit with the church in heaven. And so we ought to live as they live. Abrakel says again, we are to seek to do God's will as heartily, eagerly, joyously, earnestly, and continually as the angels and the spirits made perfect in heaven. It is to bring us great joy As we look around and we see the sin in the world, we see the rebellion against God, we see the many problems in the world, it is to bring us great joy that there will come a time, there will come a day when the knowledge, the love, and obedience to the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. There will come a time where perhaps if we move on from this life before the second coming of Christ, that we will be in heaven where God's will is perfectly obeyed. And because we are called to look forward to that, to delight in that, the responsibility is given to us to seek to live in that heavenly way while we are here. God's will obeyed perfectly in heaven. And we are reminded that one day we will be in such a place and it will be a great joy to our lives and to our hearts. And then lastly, because obeying our own will produces nothing but sorrow and death. Going our own way, forging our own path, creating our own little kingdom with our own will, the will of the old man, that produces nothing but sorrow and death. It has been tried again and again and again, countless times since the fall of man. Men have tried to go their own way and forge their own path, and it's brought nothing but sorrow and death. So, the the call to do God's will, that's why we pray this prayer. Those are the many reasons why we need to pray this prayer. As we close tonight, here are some things that will help us stir up our soul 
unto this duty to do the will of God. This is the way that many of the spiritual theologians talk about doing this, stirring up the soul, that there are graces in the heart, there are things that God has given to us, we need to stir them up and get them all moving in our life so that we're more aware of them and so that we live more in accordance with them. The first is this, to focus upon God, to spend time in our lives where we are focused upon the majesty and the nature of God so that we realize more and more that he is worthy of diligent service. If we just take time each day to remind ourselves some of the things that we know about God, who he is, his power, his majesty, his nature, we will be reminded that he deserves our best and most genuine obedience. But we also have the blessing to focus not just on who God is, but on what he has done, to focus on redemption. And when we focus on redemption, we realize this even more, the responsibility to live in accordance, or to live seeking God's glory, and to seek to live in conformity with his will and his law. Here's the way one theologian puts it. Children of God, the Lord loves you. Motivated by love, he has given you his son to be a surety and a savior. He has redeemed you, granted you spiritual life, adopted you to be his children, and ordained you for eternal glory. When considering that, should you not then receive wings to embrace love and do the will of God with a burning heart? solely because he is the Lord and your Father. Beautiful way of putting it, isn't it? Stack up all the things that God has done for you in Christ. Remind yourself that the Lord loves you. Remind yourself of all the things he has given to you. His Son, Jesus Christ, to be a surety and a Savior. He has redeemed you. He has made you spiritually alive in Christ, though you were dead in your sin. He has adopted you, brought you into the number of his children. He has ordained you for eternal glory. How could we do anything but love him and seek to do the will of God, as it says, with a burning heart, a burning heart? Next, when you focus on God's will, you spend time focusing on God's will and his law and the beauty of what he declares to us, you will find it more and more to be a delight, to be something that is good, to be something that is beautiful. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. And this is, that's what happens, isn't it? Each and every day, we're assaulted nonstop with this false message of the world, a false gospel. It's coming at us every day. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So according to God's work in us, we discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's almost, a, there's almost, piling those words on top of each other, there's almost an aesthetic value to it. That we look and we say, yes, God's will is beautiful. God's law is beautiful. The commandments, how he calls us to live, it is good and it is acceptable. Psalm 19 is another passage that 
reflects this quite well. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We know that those who run from God, that those who run from his word, that those who run from his law, they end up with destruction, disorder, chaos. The way that God has created this universe accords with his law. Thankfully, that brings us back to the message of redemption, doesn't it? The promise that God not only gives us this Savior, but as he says in Ezekiel 36, I will create in you that new heart that will delight to keep my laws. He says, I will put my spirit in you. I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Give thanks that God does this work in us. But we keep praying, thy will be done. And then finally, one more thing to remind ourselves to stir up our soul into doing the will of God is that God will reward those who do his will out of love and filial fear, that's fear of him as a father, not terror of him, but filial fear, and willingly. Those who do his will out of love and fear and with a pure heart. Psalm 145 says this, He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Now some may take that verse and say, all right, if you have the fear of God, then God's going to give you whatever you want. Have your wish list. It can be, you know, 100 items, that which you most want in this life. If you fear God, it says in Psalm 145, that he will fulfill your desire. No. Psalm 145 is teaching us that if you, with a burning heart, go after God and fear him, And seek to serve him. God will bless such a heart that is seeking him. And he will create the desires that he can fulfill. He will make you to love his glory and his kingdom above all else. And he will give you that which you most want and most desire. Perhaps not an easy road for us to walk down in today's world. Assaulted with so many things. But God says, I give you these blessings. They are there, and he desires for us to grasp hold of them. Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Many of us wish that our lives would be filled with more peace, more joy, whatever we think we may need more of. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. We also will have lives that are filled with fruitfulness for God. In John 15 verse 2, Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Abide in Christ. Walk By the Spirit, do these things, the Father will prune you so that you may come forth with even more abundant fruit. God says there is reward in doing and obeying his will. So not only the pleasing of our Heavenly Father, but the reward that he gives to us in his time and in his way as he reshapes us according to the mindset of the kingdom of God. For all of those things, 
We ought to pray, thy will be done. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you for another day in your house. We give you all of the glory and we pray that you would create in us a deeper desire to pray according to Jesus' instruction, the way that he taught us to pray. May we learn more and more about this prayer, about your gospel, about your law, each and every day that we live. And may we live, most of all, seeking to honor and glorify you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's respond together. If we go to number 462. 